Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So this video, this podcast today is going to be sort of a weekly wrap-up video talking about a couple headlines, a couple market pieces that, that I think are kind of important. Uh, yeah, the media is going to be covering this stuff as well, but uh, just, just a couple things that, that I think are worth sharing. And, and I want to start off here with precious metals. You know, as the title of this video suggests, gold, you know, as I speak, as I record this, is at a key support level and who knows by the time you watch or listen to this it might have already bounced or, or moved through that but you know this is it seems like just yesterday in, in reality i think it's a little over a week ago that gold was testing a key resistance level of just around 1350 and already it's back down to a key support level just north of 1300 in fact that's kind of what it's found as a support level over the last uh, month or so month or two it's been more so 1302, 1303 than it's been, uh, sorry for the pop-ups, than it has been 1300. And that's kind of where it's at right now, as you can see, 1303.50, right around that. Uh, that's quite a bit of a drop-off from 1350. And and, and silver, actually, uh, as you can kind of see in this chart here, I mean, the lines are so close together, has has really taken a beating lately. In fact, uh, it's, as I speak, around 1334 uh, fallen considerably more than gold, and we'll see that in this gold-silver chart here in a second, which is kind of unfortunate um, for, for me because I actually made a decent-sized silver purchase uh, maybe around 1570 1580 uh, I forget exactly what the spot price was at the time, and uh, I, I was expecting it to bounce, if nothing else, bounce around 1560 1565 uh, Let's kind of move through that. Gold, though, is is kind of... So, so silver's kind of moved through its support level. It's not to say it's going to keep collapsing if gold doesn't. I don't think it will. But gold is kind of the last, you know, <laughs> the last support level before we, we see um, them, them move, you know, south of 13 and, and 1300 and, and silver potentially, you know, back down to 15 uh, or even below that, which, you know, I, I, I get varying opinions when I talk about this type of stuff. Some people are like, great, because I know where they're going to be one day. This gives me more chance to buy now at a low price. Other people are like, let's get this party started already. So I get both sides of the argument. But anyways, as you can see in this gold to silver chart right here, uh, north of 85 again. I mean, it hasn't been this high, I don't think. Uh, if you look back at these smaller charts here, probably since a, maybe the beginning of the new year or, or maybe even back in December. So, yeah, Um that's unfortunate. Yeah, probably in the middle of December, early December. Uh, unfortunate if you're kind of waiting for them to get started. But again, the key support level, it hasn't broken through it. What remains to be seen, what happens here? And, you know, there, there I think remains a lot of reasons to be bullish on silver and gold, whether it be the economy, Federal Reserve policy, uh, the, the supply and demand aspect. So I'm not too, you know, even with silver, I mean, it, the, the funny thing is here, like if you if you follow the oil market and, and you're watching, well, basically what a lot of oil market traders watch is supply and demand numbers. So, so you look at inventory build, uh, inventory um, uh, decrease, you look at production uh, from, from various areas, you look at imports, exports, all that stuff. Uh, silver... Well, it's just so so manipulated and it's so speculative and whatnot it, in its current state on, on the COMEX and whatnot 
that that doesn't matter. And so we get news, you know, recently that that the U.S. Mint sold out a Silver Eagle. So that's not to say that there's a silver shortage. It's just that the U.S. Mint has a silver shortage. They didn't have enough on hand or probably more accurately enough blanks on hand to, to mint the Silver Eagles. But still, it signifies more demand than they expected, more demand than they had last year. And that's what the numbers would suggest. And how does silver respond? You know like 50 cents to the downside. You know, it's just a, it's, it's backwards kind of, you know, in, in my opinion. Gold, you know, gold is another great example. What, what's been the big news story about gold that everybody's been reporting on over the last uh, uh, month or so? That central banks are buying gold at the fastest pace um, maybe since like, it's been several, several decades, maybe ever. Uh, I forget exactly what the headline was. And yet, how does gold respond in almost a $50 drop from its highs. But again, the resistance or the support is still intact as of now. And so this bull market is not necessarily over or this, this move up that dates back to oh, November, I guess. It's not over yet, right? This could be just uh, uh, um, another correction, which we've seen along the way. And, and maybe we should, maybe I'm overreacting. But again, wow, that's quite a bit of drop when you look at this chart for, for silver. It's already back to where it was almost uh, during this kind of where, where it found support back then. So remains to be seen, I guess. But, but uh, you know, this is Friday. Uh, Fridays, I think, have been a pretty decent time for gold and silver as of late. So we could see a rally today and find gold. You know, if it settled at the end of the day uh, above 1310, I, th- I would see that as very positive. Um, and then it can kind of resume this uh, next week. So that's what I want to talk about there. The next one, uh, next topic I want to talk about real quickly was... Uh, treasury yields, U.S. Treasury yields. And I have another great topic after this, so don't just tune out because I'm talking about what some might see as kind of a boring topic. But anyways, I see it as really interesting because I talk a lot about the U.S. debt bubble um, and, and also the role that interest rates play in the the eventual you know collapse of 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 uh, well, the economy, whether it be currencies or or uh, the the just massive debt load we have uh, globally. Uh, but anyways, you're looking at a three-month chart here. In black here, you're looking at the 10-year yield. Blue, you're looking at the two-year yield. This is mostly, I just put this on here, and I'll, I'll take it off in a second. But just to show you that even the short-term debt that the government's pumping out, uh, rolling over and whatnot, is still being sold at a relatively high yield. Um, it's not like 0%. You know, if you look if you look at like a five-year chart, right, this, this curve is much steeper. So if you go back to 2014, 2015 and whatnot, when the government was rolling over debt with with short-term uh, bonds, bills, notes, etc., they could pay a very low interest rate on that stuff, and then the rest um, that they were rolling over in, in in ten years or thirty years or whatever was a considerably higher yield. Well, now they can't really find it anywhere, and partly that's because of of the Fed funds rate. In fact, if I looked at, uh, in fact, I want to, here. I'll I'll, I'll do. Uh, I'll, I'll bring the two-month yield up here, which should be even lower than... Okay, that's a that's a crappy line. Okay, I should have done this beforehand. But I'll bring up the Fed funds rate to kind of prove my point here. Um, I think they have it here. Uh, Fed, oh, there we go. Effective federal funds rate. This is from Fred. This is from... And this... Oh, okay, here we go. Um, there. Okay, so this is the effective federal funds rate. And and you can see that the first hike is right around here. 
and then they don't wait. You know, they wait an entire year before they hike again. But then you know a steady amount of rate hikes, and you see the two year follow that. Now the ten year kind of has as well, but you know even this two year they're still paying a decent interest rate on that. And you also have to ask yourself that. Okay, so I want to talk more about this here in a second, but but real quick, you know, let's say the Fed they made their last rate hike and it steadies out here for a while and then you know by mid 2019 or 2020 or whatever they drop it back down to one percent zero percent wherever and the two-year kind of follows suit well that's a question we have to ask ourselves is the two-year the one-year yield etc these short-term bills or bonds or whatnot are they going to follow suit with the 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 fed funds rate because you have to ask yourself, you know, if it's back down at 0%, if they're starting QE, you know, what is inflation at that point? What is the national debt at that point? You know, we're, we're talking maybe $25 trillion at that point and, and massive deficits, whatever year that's going to be. And then, you know, is are these shorter-term bonds going to trade at a higher yield? I, I think they're going to unless the government decides, you know, the Fed, I should say, the Fed decides to buy up a bunch of these bonds and, and try and force down yields. But that's going to send up inflation anyways. And it's, you know, at what point do they have to take over the, the bond market as a whole or, or just, you know, institute price controls or something, you know, through their own, through their own open market operations? Um, it's, it's a very important topic, I think, you know, because theoretically, well, okay, yeah, if this moves back down to, to 0% and, and the two-year moves down to, you know, half a percent or something like that. Okay, that if the government can roll over a lot of their debt in the short-term uh, bonds and whatnot, that's not that high of an interest rate. But what if they don't sink as much? I mean, that's the real risk for the federal government. But anyways, moving back to the 10-year, you know, I think the 10-year is really important to watch. And that's kind of why I'm talking about it here because as you can see, it. it I'll give you the bigger picture here. Going back, I'll just open up the five-year chart again. Long story here, summer 2016, U.S. 10-year hits a record low yield of, you know, right around 1.4%, very low, rock bottom. And then they spike and they move up 2%. And then for a short time above 3%. And why is this important? It's important because if you look in the whole scheme of things, going back to the 1980s, and if this chart went back, you would see this trend borne out even further back in the past. Treasury yields have moved down, 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 down over time meaning their price has moved up, 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 up. In fact, if you, you know, if you earn, inverted this, this is what treasury prices would basically look like, except uh, even more exaggerated. Okay, in fact, it, you could probably find it here. Uh, U.S. 10-year. Uh, Let's see if they have anything for us. Okay, again, another useless chart. But anyways, the point of what I'm saying here is that they've, moved up over time prices have gone up this massive bubble yields have gone down over time and that has helped out the u.s government immensely okay because this is a huge period especially beginning in 2000 a massive period or, or the early 2000s a massive period for deficit growth and the government has benefited from lower and lower yields during that time period okay but in 2016, that trend reverses. Yields start to move up. Now, again, they move down, but then recently, okay, so they have moved down recently, 
below 3%, quite a bit, I think a lot more than many people realize or or expected, uh, briefly below 2.6%. And then they start finding support around 2.6, or I should say resistance, because we're talking prices here, basically. Resistance around 2.6, 2.63, 2.65, and they bounce and they bounce and they bounce and they bounce, kind of moving into it, what, a descending wedge or whatever you'd call it if you're kind of a technical trader. And very recently, they've broken out. Now, why is this important? It's important for a couple different reasons. First of all, if this trend continues and moves back up to 3%, 3 3.2%, 3.25%, etc., that's going to have a couple major effects. First of all, the U.S. government and the no-brainer is that if they're rolling over debt in these longer-term bonds, well, they are going to have to pay a higher yield on that debt, which means a larger interest expense, et cetera, et cetera. That's not good for their deficit. It's great for precious metals holders over the long term and whatnot, but, but not so great for the dollar uh, over the long term. And it's not so great for the U.S. government debt over the long term. Number two, higher interest rates and the 10-year translate to higher interest rates in the economy. Basically, you know, when I think of what are the most important interest rates to watch out there, I have, you know, usually three that come to mind. You have the U.S. 10-year, you have the Fed funds rate, and, you know, depending on what economy you're talking about, the, the, the interest rate uh, set by central banks in, in Japan or the ECB or whatever. And then you have the LIBOR rate. Okay, those are the big three that I watch. And so if the 10 year is moving up, that's going to translate to higher interest rates for things like mortgages or other types of debt for corporates, corporations and and for the consumer, not just the U.S. government. Okay, and higher interest rates. You know, what type of effect is that going to have on the U.S. economy when we have an economy that is as saturated in debt as we are today? It's not going to be pretty. Right. That's why I was and so many others were sounding the alarm when, when yields were up. Uh, first of all, had broken that downtrend and then they moved up to north of 3%. We're talking, uh, this is dangerous for, for the U.S. economy. 3% plus yields. And so everybody's talking about, you know, uh, quantitative tightening and interest rate hikes and stuff, you know, by the Fed during this time period when the stock market was crashing. And yeah, that was part of it. But we're also talking about, hey, maybe interest rates in the 10-year were too high for the market to handle. Well, they moved down, but they're moving up again. And if this trend continues... We're going to see those things play out. Now, over the short term, you know, there's other dynamics at play here. You know, higher yields could potentially mean greater demand for for U.S. dollars, for bonds, etc. But over the long term, if this continues, uh, you know, the end game here for for bonds, I see as as being, well, basically that this trend ended in the summer 2016 in that this reversal is going to stay intact. That's that's what I believe, that uh, yields eventually are going to move higher and higher and higher. Now, you know, along the way, they could find, you know, two, 2.5 again. They could find 2%. Sure, if Europe's economy crashes, if the stock market crashes and all this money uh, rushes into the U.S. bond market, sure, they could drop a lot. But long term, you're looking, again, it goes back to the U.S. national debt. I've been talking about this so much lately. It's, it's not just how high is it and how high will it be a year or five years or 10 years from now. It gets down to who's going to fund that debt. Who's going to fund that debt? 
And as you see debt spiral and spiral out of control, you know, who is it that's going to buy these treasury bonds at a 2% yield, yield, a 10 year at a 2% yield, at a 3% yield? Pretty soon, a 4% yield is going to look pretty unattractive, right? And at some point, the Fed's going to step in, inflation's going to rise, uh, monetization of debt, that's going to eventually going to, to, I think, lead to higher and higher yields or certainly higher and higher uh, uh, currency uh, uh, inflation and a higher and higher or weaker and weaker dollar. And so, I mean, that's really, I don't know. I know I've been talking about bonds here for a while, but I think this is really important to watch if this reversal stays intact, uh, not only this small one, but also this bigger one dating back to 2016. Okay, the final thing. I didn't expect to talk about bonds for that long, but the final thing I want to talk about, it's been a while since I've talked about bonds, is China. Now, this might be the most important thing for the stock market and for people watching the economy right now to watch in China, basically. And will their latest injection of credit be successful? Their creation of new debt. Uh, And and this kind of goes back to, well, okay, first of all, we'll go over these charts. Basically, what you see here is Chinese new yuan loans as well as China total social financing. So basically, all-time highs in, I think this was February or January. I don't know if we'd have February data yet, but basically all-time highs, okay? And, you know, it's during a time of year when that might be expected, but certainly higher than it's been in the past. And so again, we have to ask ourselves, will this be successful? Because in the past, in like 2016, during the time period with that, that some people would call, or an event that some people would call the Shanghai Accord, this massive amount of uh, uh, funding was kind of released into the Chinese economy to to stimulate growth. I mean, that's been the name of the game going back to 2000. You, you can see right here during this time period right now, uh, in 2008, roughly 2009, Chinese debt and creation of debt and credit has basically been what's been driving their economy forward, right? This growth of the middle class, this growth in manufacturing, this growth in 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 more quality jobs and not just uh, uh, really poor paying jobs in China and whatnot. This growth in, in Chinese, uh, the China's real estate market, which by the way, may be one of the most important marks in the markets in the world. The, you know, all this growth in China over the last 10 roughly years, most of it's been financed by debt. That's not to say all of it, right? But a, a good portion of it has been financed by debt. And what happened, give you guys a bit of history here, Back in 2017, towards the end of 2017, uh, they started to get worried about this. In fact, I, I reported about this back then. Central Bank Governor uh, Zhao Xuan, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to butcher that, but this is back then. He warned of a Minsky moment, basically talking about how debt is getting too high. Well, what is a Minsky moment, Matt? Well, this is a pretty decent chart describing what a Minsky moment is. So basically the idea is that GDP is here in pink or purple uh, and and debt or credit is here in blue. And so as you create debt over time, you're going to create economic growth. But as you see in this chart over time, more and more debt creation leads to less and less economic growth. Now this chart isn't necessarily accurate because in theory, this can continue indefinitely. Right, it's it's gonna probably end in hyperinflation though. If you have that constant debt creation or 
you know, find some way to do that with super low interest rates, but that's going to lead to, in theory, pretty high inflation. But basically, more and more debt creation over time creates less and less economic growth. Eventually get to the point where more and more debt creation is either A, impossible, or B, or, or both, um, leads to less economic growth, like economic uh, recession or, or, or decreased economic growth. And so you have to ask yourself, you know, where is China on this? Know, are they in hedge finance and then speculative finance phase right now? Again, going back to these charts, are they in Ponzi finance? You know, I would argue that they're somewhere between Ponzi finance and Minsky moment right now. You know, maybe right here on this chart, maybe right here. And that's that's kind of getting back to this key question here: Will this stimulus work? Will this financing work? Uh, it remains to be seen. But I think the big mistake that you're going to see by a lot of market traders and, and, and investors and whatnot and, and analysts here in the United States and in China and elsewhere is that assuming because this creation of debt and social financing and whatnot was greater than what we saw back in 2016 or 17 or whatever, that automatically the stimulus to the markets and to the economy is going to be greater as well. And yet, if this is going to bear out to be true as one of China's central bank governors predicted could potentially happen, then that might not necessarily be true. That could be a very dangerous assumption. This could have the same effect, despite its large size relative to that same effect as what happened in 2016. It could be less of a stimulus. It could be a shorter-lived stimulus. In fact, I think that might be what happens when we see, you know, when, when we kind of see the, the fruits of this in 2019. And that's China's big risk. Because basically, you had this warning here in 2017. Heading into 2018, what you saw out of China was a much tougher stance. We're going to get serious about this. We're not going to cut off credit. We're not going to collapse the economy. We're going to shoot for a soft landing. And what you saw was really some unprecedented over the last 10 years, unprecedented amount of, of defaults and whatnot within the Chinese economy. And, and you saw a fair amount of deleveraging. And what was the end result of that? It was weaker economic growth. It was the big scare about Chinese growth falling. Right? People talk about it being as a result of the trade war, and that played a role. But part of it was just Beijing's attempts at deleveraging. And people got scared. And I think what you saw happen, you see it happen here in the United States as well. You know, Some things are kind of universal when it comes to politics. Uh, China has chosen to kick the can down the road. Doesn't mean that everybody in the Chinese government wants this to happen. This creation of uh, credit and 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 encouraging of lending and and easing of monetary policy or of, of, of financial conditions, but it's what's happened, and they're going to try and kick the can down the road. But the problem is, is that dating back to two thousand nine, the amount of debt that they've created is monstrous. Like, don't get me wrong, the U.S. debt pile. Is, is huge and, and arguably, I, I don't know, in absolute terms, I don't know which one is larger, but in terms of growth since 2009, China easily takes the cake when we're looking at government, corporate, and consumer debt. Easily. And so have they hit the Minsky moment? That's what we're going to find out here in 2019. And if that's the case, uh, this this recovery is not only over, which it very well could be already, but it's it's more than over. This this next recession is is going to be deep, deep recession. We're talking depression, 
Um, now that sh- shouldn't come as any surprise to a lot of my listeners, but just remember, you know, even this, you know, this is happening at the same time as weak economic growth here in the United States and Europe and elsewhere. And and who knows, maybe some of that weak economic growth is already the result of weaker growth in China. But but once this really becomes synchronized here, I think in 2019, 2020, it's going to, I'm talking about synchronized uh, 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 recession or, or economic contraction, it's going to get pretty ugly pretty quickly. So in fact, I saw somebody talking about this the other day. Uh, I forget what the exact quote was, that when it comes to these types of collapses or these crises, they always take a lot longer than we expect and happen a lot quicker than we expect. If that makes sense, they play out quick. Once they begin, they happen a lot quicker than we expect. But for them to eventually occur, sometimes that can be a lot longer, take a lot number, lot more years or months or whatever than we expect. So anyways, that's my weekly roundup. Uh, let me know what you thought of this video. I know some some rambling, ranting, whatever about some, I think, what I think are pretty important topics. But anyways, look at that. Gold's still holding up 1303. If you enjoyed this, let me know down below in the comment section. If you have questions, comments, etc., I'd love to hear from you guys. Shoot me an email, comment down below, whatever works for you. As always, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.